Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. Thanks for connecting with us. To discover more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz. May this message be an encouragement to you. As Megan said earlier, I am going to be continuing our Walking with God series. And I want to thank again Don and Chris for the opportunity to be bringing a word with you tonight. They've asked me to share a little bit more of my story, my journey, and what it's looked like for me to walk with God through my teens and my early 20s. This journey hasn't been easy, and for many years I felt like I was hanging on to God by a thread. There have been times of addiction, hopelessness, deep despair, and brokenness. But there have also been times of great hope, incredible breakthrough, and ultimately freedom. So today, I want to share some nuggets and some stories from my life thus far, some highs and some lows. We're going to get real and honest. But it all points to how in every season I have seen that God is faithful. I've seen firsthand that he's kind and he's good, and that we can trust him with our mess, with our lives, with our hurt. I hope that in my story tonight you may find yourself, you might see your past, or you might find someone that you know or you love and that you would be encouraged above all to continue holding on and believing for your own breakthrough moments. Last week, we opened the gathering with a reading from Psalm 84. This scripture has been my anchor through many, many seasons, and it's a prophetic song written by the ancient worship team, the Sons of Korah. And if my life and my journey thus far could be summarized in a psalm, it would be this one. So if you've got your Bibles, turn them on, type in Psalm 84, I'm going to read from mine, and we're going to be jumping in at verse 5, and if you've got your version app, put in the Passion Translation, that's the one that I'm going to be reading from tonight. Picking up Psalm 84, verse 5, how enriched are those who find their strength in the Lord? Within their hearts are the highways of holiness. Even when their paths wind through the dark valley of tears, they dig deep to find a pleasant pool where others have only found pain. And he, the Lord, gives to them a brook of blessing filled with the rain of an outpouring. They grow stronger and stronger with every step forward. And the God of all gods appears to them in Zion. Jumping down a little bit to verse 11. For the Lord God is brighter than the brilliance of a sunrise, wrapping himself around me like a shield. He is so generous with his gifts of glory and grace, and those who walk along his paths with integrity will never lack one thing they need, for he provides it all. O Lord of heaven's armies, what euphoria fills those who forever trust in you. I don't know about you, but the Psalms resonate deeply with me, not just because they appeal to that longing and desire in my heart to worship God, but because they're poetry, poetry that mirrors the intense reality of honest living, of moments when life seems to fall apart. I find myself in the Psalms day to day because they are filled with songs and prayers and heart cries of ordinary people walking with God, doing their very best to remain faithful, a group of people that I feel deeply at home with. When I was around 13 years old, I first experienced the pain of rejection and isolation, what it looked like for me to begin walking with God into a valley. 
I think it'd be fair to say that high school is tough for the best of us. And all of us will experience bullying at some form and some stage in our lives. I experienced intense bullying head-on at the hands of my classmates for all of my high school years. See, I was the kid that loved music, theatre, singing, dancing, and I cared about the way that I looked. Basically, I was high school musical before it was cool. Unlike the movie, though, I wasn't athletic. Couldn't dribble a basketball to save my life, and I didn't care about sports. And I also attended a country Christian school in Hamilton, which is not exactly a recipe for success. With my peers, mainly the guys, excluding me, finding ways to mock me, shame me, and humiliate me throughout the day, I found school and my life increasingly hard to deal with. I had food thrown at me, slurs yelled at me constantly, and no matter what I did or how hard I tried, it seemed that genuine friendship with the guys around me evaded me. And the toughest part of all of this were the taunts and the labels that the guys gave me. I remember walking to my class every day and there was this sort of uh, rise of stairs that I had to walk up to get to my class and there would be this group of guys that would sit up the top and they would just yell, gay, <laughs> faggot, homo. And remember, this is 2005, the world wasn't woke yet, we weren't beautifully tolerant and accepting of people who are different to us. So these labels, these names and these words, they cut like a knife to my heart and it wasn't because they were cruel and untrue, but because they exposed the very secret that I hoped no one would ever find out. That, like these mocking words and names alluded, I was wrestling with my identity. I was struggling with same-sex attraction. In that season of my life, walking with God wasn't easy. He seemed silent and distant. I'd given my life to Jesus at four years old, been raised in a Christian home, loving church and loving life. And now all of a sudden life had hit and the blow was cruel. I was angry at God for making what I perceived was a mistake with my life and for not stepping in to fix me or fix these unfair surroundings at school. Where was the good shepherd of Psalm 23? Where was this table set before me in the presence of my enemies? Because I sure as heck didn't see that. I didn't see any green pastures, didn't feel him restoring and reviving my soul. I didn't taste quiet waters and all that I saw around me were enemies. For most of my teens, I was so broken that I barely held on to God. And to be honest, my holding on looked like taking my Hillsong music books, remember sheet music books? Booking out the small piano practice rooms at school, during lunchtimes locking myself in the dark, and playing songs of worship badly on the piano, singing, mostly crying, my anger, my hurt, and my shame to God. I was hiding from my bullying classmates, and I was hiding from myself. And the only thing that seemed to comfort me in this season was to worship. You know, even though it didn't make sense, and everything in my head and my heart was screaming at me to let go and to give up on God, by the grace of God, I held on. Oswald Chambers, the author of the famous devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, sums up this process of walking with God through the valley of pain and suffering when he says, think of the enormous leisure of God. He's never in a hurry. We're always in such a frantic hurry. 
And in the light of the glory of the vision that we see in our hearts, we go forth to do things. But the vision is not yet real in us. And God has to take us into the valley. He puts us through fires and he puts us through floods and he batters us into shape until we get to the place where he can trust us. As sure as God is God and you are you, you will turn out exactly in accordance with his vision. So don't rush and don't lose heart in the process. It's been a long walk to freedom and walking with God through an identity crisis is a mountain that I questioned God about many times mid-climb. But God is good. He's a faithful father. He's above all things and he is the great restorer of our souls. Walking with God through my teens and my early 20s took me up a massive mountain that was unexpected, it seemed unfair, and frankly, I felt I was unprepared for. Ascending that mountain of identity meant following the Holy Spirit into the dark, deep places of my heart and my mind. I had to be willing to throw out everything that I thought that I knew and understood about myself what I, was, what I was called to and who I was made to be in favor of what God's truth and love ultimately said about me. For years and years, I wrestled with my identity. Some days it was me and the Lord. Some days it was me versus the Lord. And some days I didn't even try. Now, today, as I stand on the mountaintop of freedom, grateful to God that I held on, and more importantly, that he held on to me, I can see the path that led me here. The path that, yes, wound around and around, circling the same things over and over again. But actually, that's the secret of the ascent. When it's done right and it's not rushed, the journey, the struggles, the battles actually make us stronger and more resilient. Though it may appear as if we're just walking around in circles, the subtle art of the climb is trusting that though the path doubles back on itself, laps around and around, slowly but surely, the incline takes us up until finally we lap that mountain, whatever that thing is, for the last time, and we ascend the summit in victory. You know, what works at the start doesn't always work at the summit, but we are led by a God who understands us more than we ever could, and he won't give us more than we can handle. Every bit of ground covered, every lesson learned, takes us one foot in front of the other upward. He sets the pace because he knows the path. Last week, Don talked about walking with God and it looking like faith and humility. So I want to add to that this week, grace. Faith, humility, and grace. Grace, not just pardon and forgiveness, but the power to change. Walking with God through broken identity has taught me how to lean into and actively walk in the grace of God. Now for this next bit, I'm going to use same-sex attraction as the example, but honestly, you can substitute any other struggle, anything else that you wrestle with and that you um, come up against in your life. These principles will work with any issue that we might be facing. It's easy to talk about freedom as some kind of apex moment of finality. When in actuality, freedom from identity issues, which are any behaviors, learned responses, 
or things that are formed in us and rooted in our hearts and our minds require hard work and intentionality. I like to think of walking in freedom and grace as having two distinct parts. Freedom with an uppercase F, and that's Jesus Christ, crucified on the cross, carrying the sin and the shame of the world, dying for me, dying for you, taking our place, rising again three days later, shattering the stronghold of sin. It's that once and for all ultimate act of freedom by the only one who ever could. Then there's freedom with a lowercase f. It's the uncool version. It's the daily application of that once and for all freedom of Jesus Christ. And it's us putting to death sin in our lives and refusing to keep holding onto the chains and the things that he has ultimately freed and broken away from our lives. This freedom is our part. And it's not always easy. Submission, obedience, and surrender aren't traits that the world desires and celebrates, but it is the way forward. It's both faith and grace in action. Not shouldering the impossible task of trying to live up to Jesus' perfect standard, but it's applying his grace and his favor daily so that as we walk with God every day, we become transformed into his image more and more like him every day. It's important to note too, and look out, I'm a preacher right now, not every thought and desire is your own. Not every thought and desire that you have is your own. We have a very real enemy, and this is why 1 Peter 5.8 teaches us to be sober and vigilant. Be vigilant, be aware, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. You know, it's actually our response to those taunts of the enemy, those lies that he whispers into our, into our heads and our hearts that actually strengthen our resolve and our freedom. Satan is fundamentally a fraud. He's a counterfeit God who parades around roaring like a lion. Don't be fooled by his roars. Don't be fooled by his stalking. Jesus Christ is the original Lion of Judah and the thundering truth that proceeds from his mouth is the only roar that we need to heed. Amen. Look at that wording. The enemy is seeking whom he may devour. In no way, shape or form has he been given permission by God to take you out. He's roaring, stalking and luring to, to test, to see who might give in. Because when you give him, that's when you give him permission to ensnare. The devil's ultimate power in your life is in your hands. So no matter the depth of temptation or the pain of sorrow, the devil's lures and his promises are actually just cheap counterfeits of the vast eternal riches of glory that we have in Christ Jesus. His power is infinitely greater and it's unleashed on the earth in our lives when we choose to partner with Jesus. It's simple. Don't give the enemy permission. Stand and say, he may not devour me. Look, in the pursuit of freedom, the daily outworking of applying God's grace and his favor to our lives, we don't always get it right. But just because you fall or you stumble, 
or you're tempted to open an old door, to revisit an old thought pattern, to revert to an old lifestyle, doesn't mean that you aren't free. It just means you're human. God came to earth, dwelt among us, pitched his tent here beneath our skin as he took on the form of humanity. He didn't come to do away with our humanity, but he came to redeem us from our fallen humanity, to redeem us from our failings, from our flesh. That's why, in my experience, it's not about praying the gay away, as we've so often heard over the years from churches. Yes, change is going to take a lot of prayer, surrender and submission, mark my words. But like with any form of broken sexuality, it's actually not about doing away with our sexuality. It's about redeeming and reforming that sexuality. And in my case, this broken, misguided sexuality was actually a manifestation, again, a learned behavior response or a trigger of something much deeper going on in my heart. So, instead of removing my sexuality altogether, Jesus drew near and he waited. He allowed the brokenness and the pain of my life to shake my foundation until I was fully reliant on him. He didn't remove that sexual desire as much as I may have begged him to. But he came and through his love and his grace, he rewired my mind, healed my heart, and he began to right the wrongs that had defined my life up to that point, freeing my sexuality to be restored to its rightful expression. That is the grace of God. Yes, it's forgiveness, but it's so much more than just pardon. It is the power of God at work in our lives to change us, to redeem us, to free us, and to empower us to live as the new creations that he's made us to be. Jesus didn't set an impossible standard, but through the cross, he empowered us to live by his example. He showed us what it looks like to live on the earth, fully present to our surroundings and our realities and yet not defined by those things. One of the greatest takeaways from that season of my life is that not only does God not abandon us in our pain and our struggles, but if we will let him, through his grace and his strength, he comes alongside us, and he puts his shoulder to the plow with us, using our experiences and our trials to build, bless, and encourage others if, we will let him. You may remember a few weeks ago when I last shared and I spoke about that worship project that I did and how the Lord was teaching me about spirit and truth worship during that 365-day period. Well, behind the scenes of that project, all of this identity struggle was going on. I was actually at my darkest and my weakest in that very year. I remember one day, mid-struggle, after a really rough patch of addiction and failure, making an art piece for that blog called You Are Worth It All. It was a simple black and white handwritten piece that I designed and I wrote from a prophetic place as a prophetic declaration over my life and over my future. That no matter what had transpired the night before, how depraved I had been, how dark my heart and my mind might feel, Jesus and my authentic pursuit of him and his presence was worthy of my all. So I posted that graphic and I awoke the next morning to a horde of new followers. 
And that art piece had been shared virally overnight around 40,000 times. Naturally, I was intrigued, did a little digging to see where these followers were coming from, how this artwork had gone viral overnight. And the source of this was shocking, to say the least. Now, excuse the crassness of this next part, but basically, a gay porn website had found this artwork and posted it to their blog as a way of saying, your sexual partner is worthy of you doing it all. They are worthy of your all. Overnight, I now had thousands of new followers from a gay porn community following my worship project, sharing an art piece that came directly from that struggle. The Holy Spirit used my broken but surrendered heart to create art that would whisper truth and love to the people championing the very thing that I was struggling with. Unintentionally, as I listened to the voice of God, but just following what I knew to do day by day, he took my offering of worship, my surrendered identity, and he breathed life into my efforts and in turn pulled a sneaky ops maneuver on the very thing that I made war on in the spirit through my surrendered worship. All right, how are we doing? It's very quiet out there. Big topic to open up, I know. I'm just gonna have a quick drink. You guys can drink or pray, whatever you need to do. <laughs> We're going to fast forward a little bit now, because um, I want to speak about what walking with God looks like now, today in my life. I am aware, though, that opening up a discussion like that is massive and probably relatable for a lot of people in varying degrees of relatability. And I've shared my story more in depth on different podcasts and some blogs, so if you want more in-depth um, resource around that or to hear more of my story in that sense, come find me afterward or we'll put some links up somewhere for you to get that information. But I'm not going to unpack it all fully tonight here. A few years ago, in October 2019, I knew that God was speaking to me. I knew that he was shaking the nest, preparing me for a new season. You know those moments? You don't really see the way forward, and there's nothing technically wrong or uncomfortable in the current season, but deep in your spirit, you feel a sense of restlessness and an uprooting of things that used to be strong, stable, and secure. As some of you know, I was part of Bethel Music for six years, where I served on staff as their art director and designer. I'd just come back from a few months on the road, and it was a busy season. We'd just done a long Bethel Music tour, followed by a trip to the Dove Awards, where I'd been nominated for Album Cover of the Year and lost to Hillsong. God bless. Ah, <laughs> oh, the battle continues. And then a week-long album shoot <laughs> for one of our artist records. And we filmed a, a, a music video for them down in LA at YouTube Studios and then flew out into the middle of a Californian desert for another photo shoot. Life was full on and I was enjoying a peak mountaintop dream job career moment. As much as I loved it though, something in me sensed that there was a shift coming. I knew God was readying me for transition. As I sat with the Lord and I began to seek his heart for this next season, unaware of where or what that would actually look like, I began to see that this wasn't just a small change. I wasn't just going to move apartments or move cities. He had a monumental shift in store. 
up until this point in my life, my theology for walking with God actually just looked like following him and not walking with him. That might sound like semantics, but in that season of waiting and learning, I was vacillating on the axis of, do I choose my future or does the Lord choose it for me and I just simply follow? After what felt like an eternity of wrestling with the Lord, he spoke and he said, the decision is yours. I had to check the left and the right. If you go to the left, I will be there. And if you go to the right, I will be there as well. Now remember, I had followed the Lord to Reading, California, when he gave me the job at Bethel Music. I'd followed him in the healing of my broken identity and sexuality. All of my life, I had followed God. And now here he was turning it around on me, a big global decision saying it's up to me. It's my choice, surely not. All I've ever been told is less of me, less of me, more of him. Your will be done, your will be done, not my will be done. Was it possible that the Lord was actually inviting me to be great? To stand up and be all that I was made to be? To learn his rhythms of grace so that together we could walk out the rest of my life? That's some big theology to be unpacking. So when I boiled it down, I got brutally honest with myself and I found that I was afraid. I was afraid of making a choice for my future that could somehow mess up God's plan and that in one wrong move, I'd lose his favor, I would lose everything that I'd built up to that point. One night, after a long and intense verbal joust with Jesus, haven't we all been there, my heart finally spoke up and said, I'm done. I want to move back to New Zealand and I want to do what I want to do not what a friend thinks that I should do, not what a prophetic word says that I should do, not what a career-obsessed culture says might be the smart business thing to do, but what I want to do. Everything stopped. You know those moments? And I fell back onto my bed. (laughs) I experienced the peace of God like never before in my life. I was no longer feeling God's peace. I had become peace. From the inside out, he had changed me. He spoke to me and he confirmed to me that the next chapter of my life was in my hands. And that was good. In this new season, the Lord was teaching me that to walk with him looks the same as walking with any other relationship in my life. It's a dance back and forth, both parties coming to that discussion, bringing their whole selves and figuring things out together. In all of this, the Lord was teaching me to trust myself and my desires because out of that foundation of intimacy and communion that I had developed with him over many years, like Psalm 37, four says, I could delight myself in the Lord. And I add, trust that the desires in my heart were actually originally given and planted by him. He knows us better than we ever could. And that he will give me the desires of my heart. As we delight ourselves in him, seeking his face, posturing our hearts toward him with faith and humility, and we keep ourselves grounded in the word and seek good wisdom from our community, 
That's the one way you hold up those desires and hold up anything that you might be worrying about. Hold it up against the word. Hold it up against the wise counsel from your community. We can trust that these desires and these things that are in our hearts are of him. And it's, our, and it's his delight to give us those very things. Interestingly enough, just before I moved back to New Zealand, I found myself part of a last-minute trip to Washington, D.C. Bethel Music had been invited by the Trump administration to visit the White House as part of their Faith and Religious Initiatives Day. We'd been invited to lead worship and pray with that administration and pray for the future of America. Obviously, as a kid from Hamilton, New Zealand, I jumped at the chance to visit the White House and see it from the inside out. After a small hiccup at the White House, security, which, can you believe this, I had forgotten to bring my ID, trying to get into the most secure place on earth, we arrived and we were led into a big meeting room where we were briefed on a bunch of faith-based initiatives and then we began to worship. We began to sing and pray for America. A little over 10 minutes had gone by when Paula White, who was Trump's pastor and one of his advisors, came through and asked us if we would follow her into another room. Up until this point, I had just been excited to be inside the White House. And just prior to that, in, in that other room where we were praying and singing, Mike Pence, the VP, vice president, had come in and got to meet him. And then Ivanka Trump walked in and it just was, is it, is it going to get there? Where, who's going to come in next? I was living out my national treasure dreams of being escorted around top secret government rooms. Paula White came through a large door at the end of the room, asked us to stand. Much to all of our surprise, and secretly to my hope, she turned to us and said, and I'll never forget it, ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. The door opened, we walked into the Oval Office and saw President Trump sitting at his desk. We gathered around him, we laid hands on him, prayed for him, blessed him. One by one, we shook his hand, and then we were escorted out. It was a surreal blur that ended as quickly and as suddenly as it had begun. And sitting on the plane returning back to California, I marveled at the precise timing of God. His ability to do things that we never ask, think, dream, or imagine. As I prepared then to move home and leave the life that I had spent years building, to return to the place, the city of so much physical pain and rejection, I was overcome with the reassurance that if God could get me into the Oval Office, sans ID, <laughs> the most secure and guarded room on the earth, all from a simple yes when I joined Bethel Music six years prior, then I could trust him with this big, impossible leap of faith move back home with another simple yes. Walking with God hasn't always been easy, but it's been worth it. And in my life, freedom and stories of God's, sorry, if my life, freedom and stories of God's faithfulness can be of any encouragement to you, know this, if he did it for me, he can and he wants to do the same for you. At the beginning in those teenage years, I felt like Joshua, born into the wilderness, wandering aimlessly in the desert, raised, hearing the promises of God all around me, but not yet tasting, not yet seeing their fruit. 
And as I sank low into addictions and suffered at the hand of the enemy, I saw myself, my life, in the pages of Job, as it seemed like the enemy had been given a free pass with my life. And I watched everything that I care about, desired and understandably wanted, being stripped away from me. But through it all, I felt the invitation of Jesus to be more like him with every step. Jesus, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, broken and bruised for the good of others, anonymous most of his life, not seeking glory or fame because he knew all along who he was and who his father was and what his father was capable of doing. And he was completely devoted to his father's business and living a life in pursuit of truth, of purity, and of love. Musicians, would you guys come join me? You know, walking with God sometimes leads us through the valley of tears, like I read at the beginning in Psalm 84, and we can find ourselves alone and in darkness. But thank God it doesn't end there. When we choose to surrender our lives and go to the deep places of our hearts, the very core of who we are with him, it's there that he transforms us and makes us more like him as we faithfully tread the terrain with him. To quote a friend of mine, he steps into our Egypt, takes us by the hand, marches us out in freedom into our promised land. Song of Solomon 4.6 says, I have made up my mind. Until the darkness disappears and the dawn has fully come, in spite of shadows and of fears, I will go to the mountaintop with the Lord. The mountain of suffering love, the hill of burning incense. Yes, I will be your bride. So, for us, like Job, I pray that we would be a people who when we see the reality of life and feel crushed by the weight of our circumstances, we would be resilient disciples who stand up every time and say the Lord gives and he takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And like Joshua, though life may have handed us cards that we didn't ask for, born into wilderness seasons, born into a desert, born into unfair circumstances, things we wish that with all of our lives we could change, or we're facing giants in the land of promise, that we would live lives that at eight or 80 says, give me that mountain. And like Jesus, may we be willing to follow our Father wherever he leads, whatever he asks, and be willing to ascend that hill and not just ascend it, but ascend it joyfully, taking up our cross daily, following his example of living a higher way, one foot in front of the other, our eyes and our hearts fixed on his, knowing that he is faithful to lead us on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about our faith community, feel free to visit our website, gatewaychurch.org.nz.